Ahmedabad is the largest city in the state of Gujarat in western India. It has a population of over 8 million people. This is where Arpa Jeshapura, GM of LF Networking at the Linux Foundation, was born and raised. The city of Ahmedabad is divided into two major sections, dissected by the Sabarmati River. The east side is what's considered the old city, while the west side houses educational institutions such as Gujarat University, MG Science Institute, Government Polytechnique, and St. Xavier's College, where Arpit received a bachelor's degree in engineering in the late 1980s. In 1989, he moved to North Carolina to study computer engineering and computer systems networking and telecommunications. His master's thesis was in TCPIP. Think about that. There wasn't public email yet. No cell phones. There was no public connectivity to the DOD DARPA systems. The industry that was to become a lifelong passion for ARPIT was on the cusp of being invented. I tell people, you have to like what you do and you have to do what you like. These days, people are like, oh, I will only do what I like. Well, that's not what it is. If something is important and it's going to change the world, do it and you better like it. So that's the flexibility part of the new generation that we had 30 years ago. Arpit has now been in the networking industry for over 30 years. In the technology field, that is several lifetimes. What has kept him fascinated with network engineering for so long? are listening to the untold stories of open source this week coming to you from the Linux Foundation office in New York City. Each week we choose an open source project or a person behind a popular open source project to cover its untold stories. Since you work with open source and you do whether you know it or not, you're in the right place. Stay with us. My career has always been is I'm all three to five years ahead in terms of a technology disruption. I like working on things that would show up three to five years after I work on it. That allows me to shape that market, that technology, and that whole industry. Arpit Jashapur's path to an engineering career was pretty straightforward. Immediately after graduating from North Carolina State University, he took an internship with Bell Laboratories. From there, it was meeting the right people at the right time to continue his journey into connectivity networking. I had the honor of working very closely with all the fathers of connectivity. I worked with Dr. Larry Roberts, one of the creators of internet. In one of my startups, I worked closely with Vin Cerf, who is also attributed as inventing the internet on the internet side. On the mobile side, I worked with Dr. Jan Udenfeld when I was at Ericsson. I've always been around the inventors, and that's what kept me going from sort of school to internet, mobile phones, connectivity. And then lastly, I worked with the inventor of the compute world, Michael Dell. It's like these geeks really fascinate me. Moving directly into a work environment directly after school 
taught ARPET a few lessons. First, the courses were very accurate, very appropriate, and very modern. However, there are things that are not able to be taught, such as working in a proprietary environment. At Bell Labs, there was no C, no C++, no Java, or general programming languages to work with. They had invented Protel, a high-level programming language designed specifically for telephony applications. Because this was a new proprietary language, he had to start from scratch. The other thing he had to learn on the fly was how to work with people. What is not taught at college is the organizational people's soft skills. And that you have to learn. Arpit worked on a variety of projects with his team, including writing the code for call waiting and 911 interruption. He became a manager in three years, a director in five. He also took a hard look at the intersection of what, at the time, was called packet switching. A new wave of internet-based telephony was starting, and we wanted to intersect it before the voice switching became obsolete. That's kind of what I moved on. That's what brought me to Silicon Valley in the 2000s. He had a short stint with Caspian Networks, working with Dr. Lawrence Roberts before moving on to Onai. The new focus was on the optical world, which was used to control high data traffic at a global scale. When Sienna bought Onai, it created a chance to build an end-to-end strategy for optical networking. Still, he was working within a system with no room for open source, even though there were standards that could be used to interoperate between peer vendors. It started as a loosely interoperable set of modules across different companies, but not open source. So no one wanted to experiment. Nobody wanted to try new things, even though it meant slower innovation cycle and higher cost. So we just kept going in the optical networks. We kept going in the internet transport networks. Networking is 20 years behind compute when it comes to open source. We were completely proprietary and completely within standards-based, so not even open source, open standards-based. It's just in the last eight years when networking became completely open sourced. Now it has come in full pendulum and it's gone completely open across the globe. While working at Siena, Arpit received a call from the CEO of Redback. Not only was it an offer to transition to a new company, it was a transition to a new concept. He went from working on connectivity technology to routing technology. Redback was coming out of bankruptcy. They saw ARPET as someone who had managed a transition of a technology and a company into a larger market through a very strong acquisition. He was seen as a visionary product market executive that could turn companies around and help with an exit. Through a change in product and marketing strategy, within three years, Redback was able to come out of bankruptcy and be purchased by Ericsson for $2.1 billion. If you look at that transition, the next big thing that was coming up was 
the open networking. And that's got what got me to Force 10, which was sold to Dell. And at Dell, I started working on the early incarnations of open source. And now I'm here. <laughs> Harpet's transition to a new company follows a consistent pattern of staying for three to six years and then moving on to the next challenge. There's a reason behind that. It has to do with personal growth more than it has to do with dysfunctions of a company. It is tough to expand a role in an enterprise, a large enterprise, right? You're bucketed within a BU or you're running a BU or you're running a business unit that does certain things. You can't just do it all. I don't know about you, but when I think of people who run large technology companies, I don't think of them as techies or geeks. They're perceived as the business end of the equation. Arpet's experience working with people like Michael Dell has taught him differently. I remember the first time he was doing due diligence on Force 10. We were trying to sell to Mike. He came in my labs. We were explaining the whole innovation that we had done on hardware and software. He picked up the board and he looked at it and he said, ah, you know what, you have put in two more chips here. That's kind of the techie he is. I'm like, yes, that is true, but that is for reliability. And he's like, yeah, but that, that will cost you more. So redesign. He has not seen the board, but he looked at the board and he said, you know, you put, put in two more chips. That kind of a CEO <laughs> is very tough to get by, right? When you, you know, it's no BS, right? He knows exactly what things are. Harpet's perception extends to most senior executives. They tend to remain hands-off, but they know what they're talking about when it comes to the technology. Senior execs are the public voice of the company, and they go by a script because there is the possibility it will move the stock market. At Dell, Arpit started working with open source. The team actually wrote the first press release on open networking. A few of the projects that got started at the Linux Foundation were a result of ARPIT supporting the transition from Dell. My product was the first product that was called open networking. We were one of the first ones to start and contribute what is called Open Daylight and Sonic. After Dell, he went to another security startup because security was hot at that time. That was a short run. He was hired to find the product market fit for Series A to Series B funding. The company had legal issues, so they concentrated on maintaining engineering in stealth mode. That's not his sweet spot, so he started looking around and decided to focus on something that could change and disrupt the industry. That's when he talked with Jim Zemlin about joining the Linux Foundation. There's a different mindset when moving from a commercial background into a community-based open source environment. It's a very different mindset. What we have done is over the years, since I work with lots of the VCs here in Silicon Valley, we have slowly been able to educate them that open source is actually a good thing for venture capital. Because historically, they always said, why are you going to give away your business? And then my multiples are less. And I think that mindset has changed now because... What they're seeing is you can get 90% of the code that's the plumbing layer for free. 
If you contribute back, you even are better off as a leader. And then you differentiate on the 10, 20% and upsell. It's like we said, 80% is commodity or plumbing code. 20% is differentiated. Similarly, I would say 60% of open source is code. 40% is culture. So you get faster time to exit. Did you catch that? 80% is a commodity layer a layer that can be worked on together for the betterment of the community, a layer that we should be able to share. Your company can focus on the 20% of the stack that is your differentiator while contributing and helping define the commodity layer. People are starting to understand that open source can make money. ARPIT has done the cost models and has developed a calculator to verify that if you participate and lead an open source networking sub-foundation, your ROI can be 1,200% of your investment. It's not even like 2x, 3x, 5x. It's huge. It's just a multiplier effect, and it's significant if you show leadership. When ARPIT joined the Linux Foundation, there was a specific issue he was asked to tackle right away. We'll take a look after the break. You're listening to the story of just one of the 700 projects supported by the Linux Foundation. We are much more than Linux. Projects such as the Open Source Security Foundation, ONAP, Kubernetes, Hyperledger, and RISC-V all call the Linux Foundation home. If you're looking to contribute to an open source project, there are dozens that can use your help. If you have a project that needs support, bring your project to the Linux Foundation and have full access to the support resources we can provide. At the Linux Foundation, we help open technology projects build world-class open source software, hardware, data, and standards communities. We'd like yours to be one of those communities. Go to linuxfoundation.org to get started. That's linuxfoundation.org. When ARPIT joined the Linux Foundation, there was a specific issue he was asked to tackle right away. AT&T was running a project. China Mobile was running a project. What they were working on separately was a very complex problem. It required heavy domain expertise. The issue? They were basically trying to do the same thing, but not talking to each other, not collaborating on a common solution. Arpit thought he might have a way to make it work. The collaboration was to burn the oil at both ends. There were 6 a.m. meetings for AT&T on the East Coast, and then 6 p.m. for meetings with the China Mobile team. Still, there was a challenge to bring the two communities together. And majority of it was not technical. Majority of it was cultural. We were able to penetrate that because here in, in the U.S. culture, we tend to speak more, listen less. 
in China, they listen more and speak less for language barriers. So what was happening was because they were not speaking, we thought, oh, they got it. They agree. And they didn't. That was the beginning of a lot of back and forth to create a standard. PowerPoints were being exchanged and documents were created and agreed upon to nail down the specifics. That's what created ONAP, the Open Networking Automation Platform. It's now the de facto standard for 5G platforms for major global carriers, including AT&T, here in the United States. Clearly, what I've seen is it's really around the cultural collaboration in open source and not just the code. That is very critical. Networking and edge and IoT is ARPIT's domain at the Linux Foundation. Open source engineers have a very different culture than the Linux teams. He sees the Linux kernel team as more of the pizza and basement type. They would code for a hobby and living and their own enjoyment versus networking engineers who work on enterprise open source. The networking open source community is extremely well disciplined, very professional. You have to understand the culture of the global nature to match your priorities and get work done. There are also the personal family issues to work through when focusing on an international collaboration. Let's say there's a meeting at 6 in the morning. There's another big meeting at 6 at night. Where does the family fit in? Where are the boundaries and the personal balance between working internationally and family life? The advantage for ARPIT for living in Silicon Valley is that as an early riser, he can take both sides. It gives him the ability to strike a balance with the family and the new work-from-home culture that is changing where and how work gets done. Home is the new work environment. I always encourage a culture within my team not to show that you're working by responding to emails and slacks and things like that just for the sake of it. If there's no need to respond, don't respond. Results speak better than responses. Over time, you show that a balance is more important rather than reactive nature. Planning is more important than, and proactivity is more important than reactive. Slowly, your team works on that model and that just does what is important to them. Arpit came to the Linux Foundation six years ago. When he looks back, does he think he's accomplished what he came for? How does he measure his own success with the foundation? I believe I came in for one project. I'm running over 50 now. The revenue and the budget that I was responsible for has almost gone five times than what I joined. Personally, I created a lot of networks of executives where it's a very interesting relationship now. When I was at a vendor or when I was in an enterprise, if I called my customer, it would be a sales call. I'm selling something. Now it is the opposite relationship. They call us. We are so neutral and we're not selling them anything other than the collaboration. So it's been very fascinating to build these kind of relationships. What kind of relationships? What types of companies are calling ARPIT? IBM, Red Hat, Ericsson, Nokia, Cisco, Juniper, Verizon, T-Mobile. 
I mean, you know, it's the usual networking suspects. They are all now part of his network when it comes to building a world-class solution for networking. When working at this type of scale, global companies with global initiatives, the key for ARPIT is to find a common denominator that everyone is willing to work on together. One thing I've realized over the last 30 years is protocols come and go, technology wars come and go, right? But if collectively people can identify problems that can be solved where everyone benefits, you will get both support, financial and people support, and we will all be better. Just straight macroeconomics principle. You do what you're good at, let others do what others are good at, and then the world will be a better place. (laughs) Something that has started to appear as a pattern at the Linux Foundation is that the projects that are doing the best are those that have leaders that have some experience in marketing. It's not just the networking project. Look what Priyanka Sharma is doing with the CNCF. Look what Ana Jimenez is doing with the To-Do Group. When you look at the background of the leaders of those projects, there's marketing experience at the very foundation of their careers. It's critical for growing something at scale, as these projects have done. Marketing for the sake of marketing is not relevant. What you're really doing is you're doing the right level of messaging, positioning, and understanding what your partners, customers, end users, and your community wants. And that's more of a listening so that you can position correctly. If you have a marketing background, it helps big time because at the end of the day, you're selling something. It might not be a product, but you're selling a service. In order to sell something, you have to get the service right, the positioning right, the customers and the end users right, and you have to lead from the front. There is a real-world example of that under ARPIT's domain, the Edge Compute Initiative. Three years ago, the team realized that a lot of the workloads and a lot of the verticals such as manufacturing and retail, commerce, oil, and gas, they needed to compute as close to themselves as possible. It was a latency issue. Think of it this way. The Amazons, Googles, Azures of the world, they're all centralized clouds with massive data centers sitting in Seattle or wherever, right? They're not sitting next to your house or they're not sitting in your neighborhood. If you can get edge compute, which is the brains closer to you, then a whole new set of workloads come in. You are able to jumpstart a whole new set of manufacturing industries and a lot of use cases that will help. If you can understand that and position that correctly, people will jump on it and say, yep, that's what I need. The team set up Edge Compute three years ago and launched it as LF Edge. Positioning and messaging so that people don't get tied up in the technical details is a perfect example of why marketing is so important. The LF Edge project has been growing taking advantage of edge computing revolution, which is four times the size of cloud computing. You heard that right. Edge computing is four times the size of cloud computing. Focusing on that market is the place ARPIT wants to be right now. Speaking of edge compute, 
The 2022 State of Edge report came out last week. It's a reflection of what the Edge team believes is happening. Every year they publish the report to show what the projects are doing to take advantage of that computing cycle. And the single biggest takeaway? The single takeaway is if you thought cloud computing was a game changer when the Amazons and the Azures and the Google came on, you've not seen anything. Edge computing is four times as big, and it is extremely relevant to several vertical industries. If you are not part of the edge computing revolution, whether you are a telecom or a cloud player or an enterprise edge player, you're missing out. You're missing out because you can do a whole bunch of new use cases that will get you additional revenue, or you can just not buy equipment and save on cost because the compute and storage power is available in a neighborhood near you. Arpit thinks on a large scale. He thinks on a, a global scale when it comes to open source. At this time in history, it is a good time to have someone of his vision at the wheel guiding some of the largest open source initiatives in the world. The open source revolution, which is fueled by collaboration, global collaboration, is probably the only environment which is sheltered from the geopolitics of the world right now. And I am hoping to keep it that way. Our program today was created with help from the team at the Linux Foundation including James McLeod from the Finos Project, Chip Stewart for promotional management of the series, Melissa Schmidt for graphic design and cool logo, Noah Lehman helping with social media promotions, music courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, our website where you can listen to all of the episodes of the Untold Stories of Open Source, completely ungated and free, can be found on our GitHub project, or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. Speaking of subscribing, we'd very much appreciate you smashing that button and becoming part of our 7,300 downloads and climbing community. I'm Mark Miller, back next week with another untold story of open source. Music